0: Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Adam Lillis. We will be joined today by Coach Carl Walkinshaw, who will be talking to us about the importance of communication when coaching. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with coaches on your staff. And please do listen back to previous episodes if you have missed them. For now, let's get talking to Coach Walkinshaw. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me Adam Lillis. I'm delighted to be joined today by Carl Walkinshaw who among other roles is currently the Defensive Coordinator of the Nottingham Trent University Renegades. Coach how are you doing?
1: Very good coach. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: Absolute pleasure. Um, I I knew you were a coach and I knew you'd been around the game for a long time but it was only really a couple of years ago when you did your presentation at the BAFCA convention on player mindsets that really really opened my eyes about the, the sort of things you're, you're teaching people and that's why I wanted to get you on the show really and today's show is going to be about communication skills for football coaches and obviously we all know that's important but the sort of things uh, sort of underneath just the basic principles of communication that you're going to sort of deep dive into today but before we get into that... I'm sure many people know your background, but for those that don't, um, why don't you walk us through how you got into football in the first place and your football journey to today?
1: Yeah, thanks, Adam. So um, I started playing American football back in the 80s, like a lot of us did in the UK. And um, I was rubbish at uh, soccer and cricket, which were the only two sports that my school played. Uh, But then somebody started throwing around American football and I got involved and played the game for 25 years. So I started um, at that young age and then I've seen it sustain me through 25 years. And if you'd have said back then, are you going to be playing American football you know, for this long? I'd have said absolutely no. You know? But it, it, it's just uh, once you get involved in the game, you stay with it. And I've been um, lucky enough to play for my country and uh, play for a lot of good teams and move around a lot and uh, ended up being asked to coach at NTU. Uh, when they split off from the University of Nottingham so I'm jumping way ahead almost 20 years but don't want to bore you too much with the playing career but got into coaching when I was asked by the president of that team to become the defensive coordinator for NTU and I've been doing that now for over 10 years so 11 years something like that and that's been a fantastic experience as well with a great bunch of coaches and obviously you have Uh, new students coming through every year which is so satisfying and rewarding because you get to impact a whole lot of young men and women actually coming through the game so um, coaching for that long and then was lucky enough to do some coaching with the Great Britain Bucks team back in its uh, first iteration and now it's kind of come back uh, with the same coach coach Wayne Hill taking uh, on that again so uh, had that experience at GB level and also do some work currently with the GB juniors as their mindset coach. So I'm doing sort of sessions uh, with them to help them with their kind of managing their own state and some of the stuff that we'll talk about today, actually. Uh, I also do BAFCA. I'm a BAFCA educator. So I've um, delivered a number of level one uh, coaching qualifications, and I also provide the commentary for Uh, football for on-site productions and other production companies as well so we do domestic and international games in the UK so football fills my life um, and I'm very grateful to the to the sport for um, all sorts of opportunities it's given me over the years so it's been fantastic and uh, just glad and this is another one to speak on this podcast which is the first time I've had the opportunity to do a podcast specifically on American football so congratulations to you for getting this off the ground and I hope that this will be a growing concern for the game as well as we move forward.
0: I appreciate it coach and absolutely that's exactly what uh, we're trying to do with this podcast and we obviously we're going to spend a lot of time talking football fundamentals and scheme and even culture but I think areas that we're going to talk about today are so paramount and often forgotten because of the lack of time we have with players and lack like of resource perhaps but it's so important so why don't we just get into it and um why don't you tell us a little bit as a sort of preamble about communication skills and why you think they're so important
1: yeah i mean communication skills one of those things people say you know it's uh, it's important and um it is. I have a slightly different take on it, I suppose, because the first presentation I ever gave out of was an absolute categorical disaster. I mean, it was just awful. I was um, asked to give a presentation in a work setting. I turned up in this um, kind of, I was in my 20s, I think, and uh, you know, just out of university and was asked to give a presentation in the first job I ever had. Turned up, in front of this big boardroom. And I was asked to stand up only for five minutes and give like a project update. That's what, that was what my job was. And I ended up being in an absolute panic attack and, and anxiety about it. You know, they say the biggest fear is like giving presentations. They say it's like worse than the fear of death. Uh, well, that's how it felt. And I ended up like being saddlebagged. You know, when you sweat so much, your shirt is like soaked all the way through. And I had to be rescued literally. I uh, sat down by the director who sat me down and then uh, I remember going home on the train and just feeling completely humiliated at the fact that I'd given this terrible presentation and realized at that point two things. One was um, communication skills were absolutely critical if I was going to make uh, the mark in my life that I wanted to make. Uh, so that was the first insight. And then the second one was just that I was never going to be put in that situation again. And so what I did over the next few years was just as much training and as much development as as I could in terms of getting my communication skills to a level that I wanted them to be. And it took a lot of hard effort and work because of where I started, which wasn't a very good place. But um, So I think for me, communication skills through the years has been the skill I would go to, whether it would be in job interviews, in, um, you know, doing the commentary now that I do, I was asked to do stuff for BBC television, you know, it's been an absolute um, gift to make that decision to get your communication skills up to scratch. And for a coach, all the great coaches have their unique ability to communicate and Great teams have great communication coaches. I mean, that's basically what it boils down to. So if you think about the great coaches through the years, they always all have their different styles, but they're all great at communicating, both in terms of content, so the thing that you're actually saying, and in terms of their ability to convey information in a way that is compelling for people to listen to. Yeah, so even those coaches like you know John Madden for instance who went famously was you know the great communicator and then went on to do the commentary he's a guy you think of as a great communicator but even if you look at the other end of the spectrum somebody like Bill Belichick or the Patriots you know he's a kind of very uh, minimalist communicator but that's his style you know so when he gets up in front of the cameras and says you know the game was awful we're on to Cincinnati we're on to Cincinnati and he says it three or four times you know people take notice right because he's communicating in a unique style that's all his own and so what we're trying to do here and the work I do when I'm teaching people communications is about trying to find their unique voice and then giving them some skills some hints Um, just making them more aware of all the tools that they have at at their disposal when they're communicating with their teams. So um, that gives you an overview of some of the stuff that uh, is important and why it's so important to be a great communicator. And it boils down to that one fact that great teams have great communicators within them.
0: I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you talk to any football coach from across the world, almost 99% of them will agree that, communication is important absolutely I think that just goes without saying and most coaches will know that communication isn't just verbal it's also physical there's lots of other ways that you can communicate but if we just boil it down purely to coaching football or just coaching sport generally what are some of the key things that coaches should be thinking about when they're communicating to their players their coaching staffs or or other interested parties
1: Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that might sound really obvious, but I think it's overlooked uh, by a lot of coaches is to set an outcome for what you want to communicate. So what is it that I'm trying to communicate? Now that could be, there's going to be different contexts in which you communicate. And for most of the contexts, it's going to be things like, well, I want to convey or I want to describe, you know, a, um, uh, a football play you know I want to literally whiteboard stand on a whiteboard and chalk it out and have the players understand how this play is going to go down yeah that's one fo- that's my outcome for the communication so how do I know that I've communicated that now, this is this is the critical thing it's like you can go with the outcome but how do you know that you've been successful in that communication And the only way you know that you've been successful in that communication is to get the feedback from the player. So a critical part of communication is that it is two-way and that to be a great communicator, you have to be a great listener. And that's something which I think a lot of coaches overlook. They They see the kind of conveyance of information like it's one way and I'm just up and talking, 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 talking. But they're not calibrating whether the team is actually taking that information in. And are they then understanding it? Because as a coach, it's great that I understand it. But once that team gets out onto the football field, I don't control, you know, 98% of what happens and 98% of what's being done. So my my task is to ensure that the outcome is, do they understand what it is that I've conveyed? So that's a kind of general model. If you were to think about it diagrammatically, you'd say, all right, so know your goal, first of all, know the outcome that you want to get from your piece of communication, convey that out, get feedback in terms of whether they've understood it or not, and then change your behavior, be more flexible in your communication until such time as they have understood what you're trying to communicate. And a good place to start with that is to take 100% responsibility for what's communicated. So as coaches, you know we never want to be in the blame game where we're saying, You know, it's the player's fault. They didn't follow what I said. You know, you want to be in that complete ownership as a coach and say, look, if if they're not functioning well on the field, if they're not doing the play the way I drew it up, that comes back on me. And what I need to do is then become a more flexible communicator in order to get the message across. Yeah, so that's a critical kind of prerequisite to being a good communicator is taking full responsibility for what it is that you're saying yeah so um, uh, that's the simple model know your goal know your outcome say what you need to say communicate it well calibrate the feedback back and then change your communication style be as flexible as you need to be in order to communicate that to the players in the way that they're going to pick it up uh, and we can kind of go into the details on each of those areas if you like Adam, or wherever you want to take it
0: oh absolutely i think People are really interested in each of those areas. The the question I was going to ask was the actual communication part. So let's say you are on a whiteboard and you're drawing up a play and you've got a room full of 25 offensive players and you're drawing up the the play. What are some of the skills or maybe guidance you can give coaches on how they communicate that message well? They know the outcome. They know all the other parts of the message, uh, the model that you've outlined. They're going to seek feedback. But are there particular skills that they could have in making sure that the communication part is really effective?
1: Yes. So one of the first things to know is that you're always communicating. Like even when you are not speaking, you're still communicating. So as a coach, if you walk in the room and you're kind of relaxed and uh, you're chatting away to someone else or a player or whatever, you are sending out unconsciously permissions and communication to your players as soon as you get into that setting. Does that make sense? So it's like, always be aware that you're communicating as a coach through your body language, you are essentially the leader, whether you're a positional coach, whether you're a coordinator, or especially like a head coach, you're setting the tone for that classroom session or that practice from the very moment you step out and you are communicating, uh, even though you may not yet have said a single word. Players will be looking at you. They might not be looking at you consciously, but they will be aware that the coach is in the room and they will be aware of the tone that you are setting. Yeah, so it's really important that you're setting the tone that you want to communicate. If, and that will depend on the outcome that you want. If you want a relaxed session, uh, then act relaxed. But if you want a disciplined session where there is some important information that you need to convey, well, then you're setting the tone of that by your own state. And this is one of the things I get encouraged. I encourage Coaches to think about even more, really, than the content. So, everyone knows the kind of non verbal communication thing about body language, yeah. So, you know, and there's that classic statistic that goes around, which is like 50% of face to face messages are body language, and only like 10% is um, what you say, and the rest is tone of voice. People have heard that statistic, yeah. A better way to think about it, I think, is to is to think about it in terms of managing the states, the emotional states of yourself and your players. So when I walk into a room and I want to, I want to get players into a learning state, um, I want to be in that state to start with myself. If I want them to be curious about what's going to be um, coming up on the video breakdown that I'm going to be doing, then I want to be curious and start asking questions uh, about what we're going to be watching. If you want them to be super focused and you need to convey information in a really quick, swift um, amount of time because you have limited time, then come in with a state that's really matter of fact and to get the job done. So, you know, think about how you are communicating those states to your players. And the other thing when you're in a classroom setting or whiteboarding is you want the whole team to be in a learning state. Yeah. So. What does a learning state even look like? So, as a coach, I want to know, I want to have a model in my head about what someone that's learning well looks like. Yeah, so someone that's learning well is probably sat up, they're probably making notes, they're probably attentive to the front of the room, they're probably not being distracted by other things, they probably don't have phones that are distracting them or headphones on, or you know, they're in a learning state. So, you want to have a model an idea in your own makeup as a coach what that looks like for you and then try and match that as much as you can and uh, the way you do that if you're not telling players directly to sit up and you know pay attention and all those things hopefully you built some of that culture in your team you can do that through culture but you can also do it just by conveying it in your own body language if you're slouched over if you're not very interested if you're speaking as a coach in a kind of monotone way then people are going to lose interest. So, again, it's about taking responsibility for your own communication style and making sure that you're going there first and the players are following you. You're always leading uh, in terms of what they, what they want. I, I mean, I'll give you a little example. We had a classroom. What I'd noticed about the defensive unit on the field is that this season we didn't start well. Yeah, so we were, it would take us a while to warm up. Yeah, so, and I wanted to convey the, how important this was because I think on every game that we played during the season, the other offensive team had marched down the field and either scored or got very close to scoring. And it wasn't because we couldn't match the team because the rest of the three quarters, it was really close. But those, we just hadn't come out at the right tempo. And I wanted to communicate that to the team in a way that wasn't just kind of me saying it, I wanted to demonstrate it. Now what I noticed was, when we were running the classroom sessions, the players were coming into the classroom and they were chatting and they were on their phones and they were distracted and they were talking. Some of them would come in singing and they were very unfocused. And so I had them all come in and I just stood at the front of the classroom and didn't say a word, I didn't say anything. And I just waited, I didn't say, right, we're gonna start now, I didn't give them any instruction at all, and they came in, they filed in, they sat down. About 30 players, the defensive team, and I just waited and waited until the buzz stopped, until, you know, I'm just stood at the front of the room and waiting until they calmed down. And then I went on to explain that that lack of focus, is what was impacting us in the first drives of games is because they were demonstrating exactly the same behavior in the classroom that they do on the field which is we're just not getting focused and ready enough to be in a good performance high performance state and we need to make sure that we we do that and when I'd done that um, we came out the next game and we were really on point Uh, you know from the get-go because I made it a priority for us to notice what was happening and how we were managing our state at the beginning of games at the beginning of classrooms you know at the beginning of anything we were doing which required some attention how were we focusing in and how long was it taking to get us into the state that we needed to be in to perform at our best and so that's an example of how communication can be done in a range of different ways flexible ways um, in order to demonstrate the point that you want to make and and if you set that outcome my outcome was I want them to understand they need to start better and then you can think as a coach well how can I demonstrate that in a way which is going to be impactful for that team without just always telling them how can I show them how can I demonstrate it maybe there's a story I can tell maybe there's a metaphor I can use or maybe I can just use the classroom as a kind of you know, um, experimental lab to try and get them to understand what they do in the classroom, how they do everything related to football is the same as how they do everything else. So if they're not focused in the classroom, they're not going to be focused on the field as well. And it does make a difference. So that's an example, Adam, of, um, you know, a a small example, I guess, about how you can use communication in a, in a, a creative way, I guess.
0: I mean, that's fantastic advice. And I'm sure many British coaches will start using that uh, example that you've just given and start applying it to their own teams. But, I mean, you've touched on it slightly already about, you know, we're talking about classrooms and uh, a little bit about being on the field during practices and games. I mean, this might be a straightforward question, but is it natural for a coach? And you talked about coaches have different styles. Um, you talked about being an effective communicator is it expected that a coach will act differently within the classroom to within the practice field? And are there any things that coaches should be aware of when they're approaching those two very different situations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question. And it's, you know, communication is contextual. Yeah. It's about the context in in that I mean, and there are so many different variables to communication that what you want to develop is as much flexibility as a communicator as you can. So you'll notice that when I talk, I use very different voice tonality, I pace it, sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's slow. Voice is one of the tools that you have. If you're outside, you've obviously got to communicate in a way and a level that is able to reach all the players. So basic stuff like how loud or soft my voice is, is going to be absolutely critical in terms of the players even be able, being able to hear me, yeah the level at which you 're standing, I now work with junior teams and sometimes you you don't want to be standing over a fourteen year old uh, kid you know you don 't want to be doing that you want to drop down to their level, so how are you using your body and physiology to communicate on an equal basis with um, with children or with uh women or how you know each of those ways in which you communicate you need to understand your audience and the context and the environment in which you're working and the level you know the behavior and capabilities that those players have so there's all these different variables kind of going on in the background and your job as a coach is to take all that information in and then communicate in the most effective way that you can so and and so one of the things that coaches like to do when they get into coaching early is to understand what sort of coach they are yeah so you've got the kind of command centered coach you know who's very sort of win focused task focused um you know tells people what to do very sort of command and control traditional kind of coach if you like um you've got other coaches that are much more cooperative Yeah, which is a good place to be, especially these days when you're working with, um, you know, the the age group that I'm working with now. When I coach at NTU, I've seen a big change in terms of what they require from their coaches. And it used to be okay to be a command and control coach, you know, to be a kind of person that just told, told players stuff. And they would just follow orders. Um, That used to be all right. And now what I'm finding is, and I I guess a lot of coaches will experience the same thing, is that kids these days are much less trusting of authority just because you got the role. They're much, they're after evidence that you uh, will work with them, that you will uh, see them as your equal, that you will uh, tell and show, but ask and listen as well. And so have, being a cooperative coach, someone who's leading in a way which is much more player-centered and is taking into account both the task and the relationship that you have with your players, that's a much more modern way of coaching, I would suggest. And so it's a much more effective way to communicate. And then, of course, I guess you would have more submissive coaches as well and they would have, you know, they would, they're they're coaches that probably need to work a little bit more on their leadership skills because um, players need to be able to respect that. Uh, And so... If you take those three different kind of coaches, you've got the command and control, the cooperative coach, the submissive coach. That cooperative coach is a more modern way now, and it requires more flexibility. It's not just command and control. It requires you to be flexible in your training, flexible in the way that you uh, communicate with players, flexible in the way that you chalkboard and whiteboard stuff out. Sometimes you're going to use video, sometimes you're going to use uh, whiteboarding. Um, sometimes you're going to get players up and they're going to run the session. You know, that, that getting alongside players and communicating in that way is much more effective than just the kind of command and control and just tell. Um, and so that would be a good way to understand, you, you, and begin to understand your different coaching style and then begin to identify where you're strong and where you're less strong as a coach and then to develop those areas where you need to develop more flexibility, if that makes sense. So hopefully that answers a little bit of your question there,
0: Adam. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just want to bring it back a little bit to the two very different scenarios. So we've got the sort of pre-practice, pre-game, whether that's classroom or video, that environment of learning. And then you've got the on-field situation where you've got, whether it's practice or game. If we stick with classroom for now, Obviously, in the British game, we've got limited time. Um, As I said earlier, at the university level especially, we have a very large number of new players coming in that possibly don't even know the rules of of the sport, let alone uh, nuance technique and things like that. Is there any guidance, advice or perhaps techniques that you can offer coaches that they can spend that off-the-field time effectively to ensure that their players know exactly what they're supposed to be doing.
1: Yeah, so a few things you can do. It's a good way, it's a good thing to chunk, uh, to think of things in terms of small chunks and large chunks and to have a plan about how you're going to communicate the smaller chunks that build up into the larger chunks. And you can literally draw that out. If any coaches want an example of how that works, I can send you it. But I call it almost like graduated um, information because you're right. You know, if you get a typical season, you're going to get what an hour contact time in a classroom um, per week, maybe maybe two hours if you're lucky, but not a lot of time. And so you want to keep things as simple as possible to start with, and then build in the complexity as you as you get more contact time with the players. One of the things that to notice about players is they want to be successful, and you want them to be successful. So how do you set them up? To be successful early on. Well, you keep it really simple and you then build in the complexity over time rather than giving them a whole load of stuff very early on that they're kind of overwhelmed with. So for me, it does it does start with basics, you know, this is what we run, this is how we run it, this, this is the um, uh, you know, th- these are the basic players and who I'm looking for, the skill sets I want from each of the players. These are the types of plays that we run. This is the type of defense that we run. And I want them to learn that first, the overall concept, concept of what I'm trying to teach. And then I'll chunk down into a little bit of detail, get them to learn that and then come back out and say why that's important. So I'm zooming in and zooming out all the time until they get a, more of an idea of the playbook. So I might just teach them very basic formation. In those early sessions and we just might run that for two three weeks until we get ready for the first game and then we're getting ready for that first game and we keep it simple in that first game especially in Bucks football because you don't have a big run-up as you know coach you don't have a big run-up before that first game so if you've got rookie players in you want to give them enough understanding um, but you also want to give the focus to those returning players who you know are probably going to be the ones that will uh, pull out the win for you in those early games so In terms of classroom sessions, use that approach, chunk it down and then chunk it up and build the complexity over time, rather than trying to overwhelm them with everything all at once. And do keep it basic. I mean, I find that the basic um, premises that you work, you know, pursue angles like for defense, I'm talking now, you know, in terms of pursuing, you know, we pursuing inside out or outside in, where is our force and who are our force or contained players, you know, um, how do we understand, the, you know, the, the force player, the alley player, the posting up player? How do we understand that conceptually? I want them to get some high level concepts early on about how defense works. And then I'm going to build in the complexity over time about how the plays actually work. But early on, it's just about this is where you stand. This is your key. This is the player that you're focusing on when you come off the ball. This is the you know what your job is, so they're really clear on that, and and in that way, I'm not gonna make it overly complex. I'm not gonna put in my uh, quarters coverage straight. I want in day one, you know, with uh, all my complex blitz package, until they're ready um, and they understand the basics conceptually of what we're trying to achieve. So that's I mean that's and that's some some content stuff there. I mean the other thing I would say is that if you don't have a skill around whiteboarding or chalkboarding and you're reliant all the time on powerpoint and um, pre-prepared material i would really encourage coaches to develop that skill you know the whiteboarding chalkboarding skill drawing up the plays live uh, because i encourage the players to come up and draw it for me as well so i'll say come up and draw Where's my you know, three-tech tackle? Come up and draw where you would be on this play. And what if I want to send my mic linebacker? What would you do then? And they'll sort of rub it. They'll come up, they'll rub it out, and they'll put in. And they're doing it. they'll put in where they think it's, the blitz should go, what they should do if the linebacker blitzes through a particular hole. And in that way, I'm doing the feedback bit because I've, and my goal was to communicate a particular play. Now I've done that using the whiteboard And I might even show them some film as well. So I'm being flexible. I'm showing them film. I'm doing the whiteboard. I'm showing them on a PowerPoint maybe as well. And then I'm getting them up to draw it for me. And in doing that, I'm checking their understanding that they're getting it. And by doing that player interaction, it also means that they're attentive. You can't hide at the back of the classroom in one of my classroom sessions simply because you don't know when you're going to be asked to do something. I'll either ask you a question and I sort of, you know, speak to players by name. So it will be, you know, Scott, what do you think of that? You know, what if we ran this blitz, Matt, what would happen then? So, you know, I don't ask for kind of volunteers. They're all involved and I'll sort of communicate with them directly. Um, and that includes the rookies. And sometimes if there's a question that I've asked in the classroom, I ask a lot of questions in the classroom. So what are we doing in this situation? What's this offensive scheme? If you saw this, what would you do? Where's the strong side on this? And if the returning players are answering the questions too much, it's making it easy for the rookies. I'll say, right, here's a question for you. What's the strong side when we've got a balanced offensive set that's in spread? How do I check off to the strong side? What do I need to do? And I'll say rookies only, only the rookies can answer this question. And in that way, I'm making sure that I'm involving everyone in the classroom and that no one's hiding. Yeah. And that, Because you don't want that, you want you're only as strong, I guess, as those 11 guys that you put on the field, and your weakest link is going to be the one that wasn't paying attention. So, in the short amount of time that I have with them, I do ask them to be attentive and I test that in different ways by behaving flexibly and by checking the response and understanding that I'm getting from the players. So, hopefully, that makes uh, sense, Adam. In terms of
0: makes absolute sense, and I mean, I've coached for a number of years, as you know, but I've made the Incorrect assumption that being able to draw up even very basic formations is just a, a natural skill that everyone has because i've I've been weeks into a season and I've said such and such player who I considered a relatively experienced player like just draw up spread for me and now draw you know this passing concept, and they can't even get the players in the right position and it's because I haven't spent time with them earlier in the season, just teaching them the basic skill of how to draw up a player and getting that out of their system early on. So and I, I can't imagine I'm the only coach that have done that. So absolutely no, definitely. yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: and that's great coaching that you've spotted that, picked it up and then, you know, you you make amends. That is what behaving flexibly is. It's like, oh, I've spotted this now. So now I'm gonna change my classroom and ask the players to come up and draw it. And that's that's the loop. You know it's like I had an outcome for them to understand this. I now know they don't understand it. So let me be flexible. What's a good way in which I can get them to understand it. So and and in that way you've got that you've got that right. So that that's exactly what it what it looks like when you close the loop on that stuff.
0: Yeah excellent. Um just to sort of coming to the end of the podcast, but we talked about you know off the field things and classroom settings and you know using video and things like that. We could probably spend a whole podcast talking about what coaches are like on game day and what yeah, we could different different do opposing co- you know <laughs> maybe without name dropping obviously but um let's talk about game day so uh, we're specifically talking about communication and coaches' communication but what i'm specifically interested in is what should coaches be thinking about regardless of whether you're head coach or coordinator or positional coach in the way you convey your communication not just to your players, but to the officials, to the opposite team, purely, uh, specifically about uh, raising the player performance as high as possible? Because there's been a number of games that I've seen over the years where I've seen teams perform really well or really badly. And I likened it to the way the coach is actually interacting with everyone on the field. So is there anything things that coaches should be thinking about?
1: Yeah, it's a great question there's a lot we could do another hour on this, but I, I mean, what, what I would say, I suppose, is one thing I would say is that at some point during the season, when you get them in a classroom, before you even go out on the field, uh, it's useful to get them to understand that they are managing their state on the field. So when they're, and, and to talk to them about what a high performance state looks like as a player now, and, and just, you can do it in a really basic way. Like you can do it in 10 minutes by saying, you know, who are the NFL footballers that we admire and why? And you know, if someone mentions, um, you know, an NFL player that has a particular state, you know, people like uh, Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks, you always see him upbeat. You know, he's never kind of lets his body language drop. He's always high energy, that kind of player. Or, you know, quarterbacks are good to talk about because often the camera's on them and you can talk about their mental state because you see them perform at different in under different sorts of pressure. You know, so... Somebody like Patrick Mahone's just won the Super Bowl. I mean, his state is fantastic. It's very consistent. He's not up and down. He's, he's always kind of looking to get in the zone. He plays with flow. You know, so you can have a discussion about what's he doing? How can we model that on the field? Yeah, and what it, so you want to get them to think about what a good state, performance state looks like. That's the first thing to do because you want to be able to reference that back on the field. So when a player comes off the field and something negative has happened, like they've thrown an interception or they've dropped the football or whatever it is, you're able to say very quickly, how would Russell Wilson deal with that? I mean, that sounds kind of corny, but it's like, well, if you you want to be able to do it quickly without having to explain it, yeah, because you don't have time. So you have to kind of set up the players to understand their different states. I mean, one of the things that, quick story on this is one of the players great player that i coached who was a gb level players also went on to play in germany and he he's now going on to have a military career a really good kid and he he was um ejected from a game and it was a game that he wanted to play it was a team that he would played for before and then he'd come to the team i was coaching and uh he wanted to do really well in this game and it, and it ended up in the first quarter that he got um, – he went on – he hit the quarterback. It looked like he'd hit him with his head, um, and he was ejected, immediately ejected. And he was so upset, like, coming off the field. He was kind of almost catatonic, couldn't manage his own state. And he went over to the, the sideline, and he was just kind of crying and upset. And I said to him um, – I said to him, how you respond to this is completely up to you. You have a choice right now. That was all I'd said. And, the, and he came out of it almost immediately because he realized in that moment that I was talking about the mindset work that we'd done in a previous session in the classroom. And he'd understood it then. And now he would understood it in that moment because he had a referential experience back in the classroom where we'd been talking about high performance states and from that moment he chose to be in a positive state understood that he could control his state and then what he did was he went on in that game he had to kind of be on the side he had to leave uh it was a a cage we were in it was like one of these 3g cages he had to kind of stand outside it but he was still helping the other players. He was still you know, cheering them on, even though he couldn't take part and he'd been ejected in the game. And that's an example of having a referential experience in the classroom that you can then talk about on the field. Because on the field, you don't have time. You have to manage states quickly. But other things you can do, just quickly look at physiology. So there's ways in which you can change players' physiology if they come off and you notice that heads are down, you know, that classic thing, heads up, heads up, let's go, come on, next play, put it behind you, all that sort of stuff really works to kind of get them reminded that they have to be in the moment to play. If I'm thinking about the past, You know, or I'm projecting into the future what might happen, I'm not in the moment and therefore I'm not really focused on what's happening immediately in front of me. So all the time I'm trying to encourage players to focus on now, focus on this play, focus on doing your job right now, doesn't matter what's gone before and it doesn't matter what the score is or what's coming next, we are focused on us now and if we get it right in this moment, the other stuff will take care of itself. So that's really what I'm thinking about and focused on as a coach. And I'm checking that they're doing that. The, the, the feedback that I'm looking for from the players is, are they focused? Are they in the moment? Or are they being distracted by the crowd? Or distracted by their mum who's come to watch them? Or distracted by other players? Or are they talk, telling stories about what happened in the first half? I'm always trying to snap them back to now for the short period of time that it takes to play a game of American football And then we can go off and celebrate once that game's over. Uh, So bringing them back to the moment uh, and then using all the skills that you've developed as a coach to um, make sure that you're managing their state and keeping them as high performance as often as you can during that game experience, regardless of what happens. And so that as a coach requires a great deal of flexibility to do it really well, because sometimes you're going to be very passionate yeah, sometimes you're going to really tell them off because they got it wrong, you know. But when you need to decide as a coach what's most effective to get them back to that high performance state, now bawling them out after they've made a, a players made a mistake is probably not the best thing to do, you know. What you want to do is say, "All right, we we'll put it behind us," and and if there's learning, then get them to get the learning. If you can do it in a quick enough amount of time on the sideline before the next. Um, before the next series of downs and then if they get the learning then you can uh, make sure they all hear the learning and get them back on the field with that adjustment made so it's um, sideline coaching is quick you have to calibrate very quickly so perceive what players are doing what the body language is how they're reacting on the field this is good for coaches to learn anyway just from a safety perspective as well you know with concussion um, part of the skill of a coach to pick up whether a player's concussed or injured is their ability to calibrate that player as they come off the field. So it's not just about, um, effective performance. It's also about what's going on for this player. You know, are they limping slightly Did they, they take a bang to the head. Um, are they just got have they got their head down just because you know they' they're not happy about the way they're playing do they need a pick up or do they need a kind of put down do they need to uh focus or do they need to sit out you know so there's a a range of different ways in which you're calibrating stuff as a coach and you've got to build that skill over time and practice and uh Hopefully that helps in terms of understanding a little bit about what goes on in the sideline. Again, you can take any of those things and really drill down into it, but I think for today,
0: those are the things I'd focus in on.: That's brilliant, coach and um, I mean, it's a shame that we've not got more time to deep dive into further things on. I know you've got great content that you want to share about player states and how we can maintain those player states, and I'm sure we'll get you on a future episode again to to expand on those um before you go i like to give coaches the opportunity to share social media handles or any other details in in case coaches want to get a hold of you to discuss this further and i know you've got your own podcast coming out so you're more than welcome to plug that as well
1: i do thanks for mentioning that so i do have a podcast coming out very soon it's going to be the podcast is called beyond alpha so you'll see that Popping up in all the places that podcasts are distributed. So, um, yeah, look for Beyond Alpha. Type that in. Uh, it's a podcast development for guys uh, that want to not just on the football field, but want to perform in all areas of their lives in a high performance state. Um, and you can find out more about me uh, on Twitter. My handle is Coach Carl W. That's Carl with a K. And uh, you can look me up on Facebook as well. If you want to connect with me there, I'd be more than happy to connect there. And it's uh, Carl with a K, Walkinshaw, W-A-L-K-I-N-S-H-A-W. So look me up and um, thanks very much for the opportunity to be on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Thank you again to Coach Carl Walkinshaw for talking to us today. Some fantastic information and advice shared that we can all take away and implement within our coaching staffs and our football programmes. Once again, remember to subscribe and follow the podcast. You can also follow BAFCA on social media at B-A-F-C-A Official. And you can also follow me at Coach Lillis, L-I-L-L-I-S.